Well, good morning, church. Already missed my cue. It's going to be a good morning. <laughs> How are you doing this morning? Good, good, good. Well, um, I'm excited today to be here. I'm excited for the word. If you're not sure what's going on, um, I'm not Tim. Uh, we look a little bit alike, but um, just a little. So he's not here this morning because he is on his time of rest. And I'm so glad to be a part of a healthy church where we can go, you know what, Pastor, we love you and we really miss you, but please don't come back until it's the right time because we're still going to come get this word and we're still going to come give this worship and we're still going to come do what we do because we are a healthy church and the Bible says that those that refresh others shall themselves be refreshed. So what's happening now for Tim and Juliet is so biblical because they refresh, they refresh, refresh and now is the time where God, they can sit back and God is refreshing them and when they come back, y'all better be ready when they come back. But how many this morning have been praying for your pastors? Amen. Amen. Me too. Um, <clears throat> this morning, though, are you ready for the word? I'm, I'm ready for the word because this morning I have the opportunity to, to preach to you a message that the Holy Spirit began preaching to me a couple of months ago before I knew I would stand before you. And it was one of these messages that was birthed just in my own time of prayer and the Holy Spirit started to speak to me, and I just started to write down and take notes because he preaches so good. And um, he, he started to speak to me out of a passage of scripture that I had not even been studying. So I knew it was God, and I just kind of stood back. I was like, where did that come from? Like, I haven't even touched that part of the Bible in so long. And I sat down, and I started to, to write down what I heard in my spirit. And it wasn't much long later that Tim said, hey, Katie, hey, sis, you know, I'm going to sit down for a while. Would you like to come? And I was like, whatever I can do to help you rest. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me, you know that message I've been preaching to you? I want you to preach it to them. And this morning, I actually feel like maybe God has me speaking it all day three times because he knows I need to hear it three more times. Um, but I know this, there's some people in this room today that this is the word of the Lord for you today because this is not something that I sat down and manufactured. This is something that God breathed. And so this morning, I want you to just to prepare your hearts um, because the scripture, the Bible is the only book, as Tim says, that still breathes. And so this morning, if you have an expectation in your spirit and you lean in to the word, I know this, that you will not leave here the same. Why? Because God said that the word he sends forth does not return void. And so this morning, I want to just declare and speak over you that your hearts are good ground and that you are ready to get this word. Are you ready for the word? Say word. <laughs> All right. Um, in honor of Tim, let's, let's just pray a short prayer. Holy Spirit, help us to know that we're called. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're going to start in the word. John chapter 11, verse 38 to 44. Now I want you to talk back to me today. You don't have to. I'll just preach longer. But um, if you want to participate and preach with me, that would be great. John eleven thirty eight, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, or the King James says he stinketh. Um, you gotta love the King James. For he has been there for four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of all these people standing here so that they might believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. Jesus called out. Jesus called out in a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I want to speak today, to teach today uh, the topic called, called. Now, um, i got to let you know, I, I kind of have a different, maybe a little bit of a different upbringing than some people. Uh, my parents uh, pastored my whole life, and they pastored some smaller churches. Smaller churches in the sense that um, when you're the pastor, you do everything. You marry everybody and their brother. You, you bury everybody and their brother. You do every single ceremony. So I grew up going to a lot of funerals. I grew up going to a lot of funerals of people I did not know. I remember looking at, I mean, not just funeral, I mean, like, graveside, everything. I mean, I remember waking up in the middle of the night. I went to sleep in my bunk bed, and I woke up in a waiting room in a hospital hearing people wail, and someone had just died. I just grew up a lot around, uh, around death and, around, and funerals. So i got to admit this. Maybe this isn't you, but at funerals, there's something about a funeral. You know, have you ever been sitting at a funeral, and if it's someone that's not that close to you, they're to support someone else pretty much. Um, there's this, this thing that happens as humans is uh, they're talking about this person's life and they're trying to find all the good things. And some of the people are going, y'all reach in like <laughs> you're trying to find. But you're sitting there and they're saying all this stuff about this person and your mind starts to wander and you start to imagine your funeral. Am I the only one? You can lie. It's okay. That's fine. I'm the only one. So you start to imagine and you start to have questions like what will they say about me? And you have to start have to, having questions like, wait, what am I doing with my life? Because life can get cut short so quickly. And have I, and we start to, nothing, nothing makes you evaluate your life like a funeral, right? You start to think, wait, have I, have I done the thing I was supposed to do? What was I sent to earth to do? You start evaluating your priorities and go, why am I alive? And when I die, will I be finished? What was I born for? Have I discovered my calling? What am I called to do? Because I don't want to waste my life clawing my way up a ladder all the way, trying to just climb up this ladder of success only to get there and realize that ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. I don't want to waste my life doing what everybody else does. I want to do what I was born to do. What was I born for? Why am I here? And back in the day, we would say, what is my calling? Now, when you discover your calling and your why, it's like you're a dead man that comes to life. Suddenly, your whole life changes. Now, now I want us to watch this. Because once you figure out what you were born for, that's when your life begins to have the most impact. Lazarus goes from an ordinary guy to one of the most famous guys in all of church history. And in fact, I think he has a story that so many of us are chasing because he's an ordinary guy. And all of a sudden, he's pushed into the spotlight. He's got a platform. He's got notoriety. He's got eternal impact that he's having. I mean, imagine this. Imagine decades from now, somebody gets up to preach the gospel in a church, and they open up, and the story they tell is yours. Can you imagine having a life that is preached about later on. Now, 
let me just give you some of the highlights if you're not familiar with the story of Lazarus. Because as I reread the story, I was so shocked at some of the impact that his life had once he came alive. And, and we'll read through it later, but I just want to sort of go and, and give you some of the highlights, right? We'll read later, but in chapter 11, we see Jesus saying to the disciples, you know what, you guys, I handpicked you. You've had faith to leave everything and everyone. But you know what, for your sakes, I'm glad Lazarus died. And I'm glad I wasn't there so that you might believe. You mean to tell me that the people who go on to plant the early church have faith for miracles. Part of the reason they had that much faith is because of Lazarus. Because Lazarus came alive. You follow and you see Mary anointing the feet of Jesus with a year's worth of salary. And Mark says this. The Gospel of Mark says, this is a story, Jesus says, that will be told as long as the Gospel is preached. But do you mean to tell me that most likely that story never would have happened if it would not have been for Lazarus? Cece Winans would have never been able to pour her praise on him like oil if it weren't for the fact that Lazarus came alive. You follow through chapter 11 and chapter 12, and you see countless times where it says that many were believing on Jesus because of Lazarus' account. It says many were following, many were continuing to tell of the story because Lazarus came alive. In fact, John 12, 19 reads like this. There was a huge crowd that was there, and it says this. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is verse 19. It says, the whole world is going after Jesus because of Lazarus. That's just a little bit of impact. Did you know that the city of Bethany where Lazarus was, was living and died and was raised, it still exists today, but it's not called Bethany anymore. They have renamed his city the place of Lazarus. The place of Lazarus. So can you imagine being famous? Now your, your, your whole city is named after you. And right now as we speak, there are people lined up to take a tour of the tomb of Lazarus right now, even though he has been dead for so long because Lazarus came alive. In fact, Jesus himself, he was pushed toward the cross. And this timeline was accelerated because of Lazarus. So many things were set in motion, all because one man came alive. And I want to ask you this, what would happen if just one person in this service finally figured out why they were born and decided to live for it, what would happen if you finally came alive? See, I just mentioned some of the highlights, right, of Lazarus' life. Um, but the highlights are kind of like, highlights are like what people post on social media. And, and, and it's like, this is the great things, but you don't really see the in-between. Like, if you saw in-between, you probably would be a little more content with your own life. But, but everybody posts their highlights, the greatest things that are happening and their greatest meal. You don't see the one that failed and got thrown in the trash can. But, um, but here's the thing that you've got you to gotta allow me liberty. This is what I do sometimes um, because I love the word. So once I've studied the word in its original context back then, Sometimes what I do is I try to then bring the scripture forward and imagine it in my context so that I can get a, a good understanding of it, right? So allow me liberty, a little liberty here because when I was reading this, I started to imagine Lazarus' Instagram page. I don't know if I have the right crowd. Facebook, maybe, the 9 a.m., MySpace, Jesus was his top six, Tom. No? Okay. Anyway, we'll stick with Instagram and hope you can follow me. So I started to imagine his Instagram, right? So I was imagining, because you know the Bible can feel ancient, so sometimes pulling it forward helps us to better connect with a story that has not come alive to us yet. 
So I'm thinking this, right? You go back, you scroll back to the beginning of his Instagram. He's a regular guy. He's just a regular guy. He's got like about 134 friends. Um, he's got, you know, like pictures of stuff like, um, you know, the, the sandals he just recently bought or what he ate for dinner, the fish he caught, you know. It's like all these regular ones and it's like 36 likes and somebody would be like, hey, Lazarus, call me. Um, and some a few comments and it's just like he's just... He's just really regular. It's like he posts a little video of him playing a practical joke on Mary and Martha, and they're fighting. And like, Lazarus, my hair's not. What are you doing? And it's just regular, right? And then you scroll back, and you see all this regular stuff. And then all of a sudden, you see this post that comes, and it's like, hey, it's not Lazarus. It's Martha here. I just wanted to ask all his friends to pray for him because Lazarus is really sick. Um, and Jesus isn't here, so she tags Jesus so that he can know that Lazarus is sick, like at Jesus, and he can hurry and come back from his ministry trip because I know we're cool and stuff, so you'll come back. And I've seen you heal lots of people. So, hey, it's Martha just asking everyone to pray. Lazarus is really sick. Tags Jesus, hurry and come. And then the next post goes from somber to kind of urgent. Hey, family, I just want to ask you to continue to fast and pray because Lazarus has taken a turn for the worse, and it doesn't look good. Can you please repost this to all your praying fans? Let's get it out there um, because we believe that when at Jesus comes, he will um, get well. He's probably just not getting cell service right now where he is. So, so, so people are replying to this post. They're like, yo, thoughts and prayers are with you. Keep your head up. I'm sure Jesus will be there soon. It's going to be okay. Tell Lazarus it's all good. We got him. Um, and then, so you go his regular stuff and then these posts and then all of a sudden, is this post, this is Mary here. There are no words for our grief today or our shock or our sorrow because the brother that we have loved, we have lost. We just want to thank you for your help during this incredibly and your support during this incredibly different time, difficult time. And here's his funeral arrangement if you want to come. It's tomorrow because we don't embalm. So if you can get here, get your donkey. Um, here's the funeral arrangements. And then it just goes dead quiet because he's gone and it's over. And I can just picture this. I picture Mary and Martha in his room going through his stuff and trying to process all that's happening. How is this happening? And how is he dead? And what do we do with all this stuff? And then Mary's like, hey, what do we do with this social media stuff? Do we just keep it up or do we disable it? I don't know. Let's keep it up for now um, until we figure it out. And so in the meantime... In the meantime, you, you see people who can't make it to the funeral come back and they're posting stuff like, man, what a shame. He was a good man and he really thought Jesus loved him, but Jesus never showed. Other people saying, hey, I'm sorry you had to find out this way that that Jesus guy was a fraud. I hate that you got played. And Jesus is not looking good. And then it just goes quiet. And then like four days later, all his all his friends, all 137 of them now, have, um, they get a random notification like Lazarus has gone live and they're like, uh, I think Mary's got her phone in her pocket again and there's got to be a mistake. But uh, curiosity, so they're like, what is this Lazarus gone live thing? What is this? And, and they open up the live feed and it's just like chaos. They don't understand what's going on. There's like dust flying and people ah, screaming and, and what in the world? And, and someone's saying Lazarus and, and then you, you kind of see a picture of like a tomb but the stone has moved away and they're like, what in the whole world is going on? And then all of a sudden it just the signal, boop, it just drops. And they're all like, what? Whoa, whoa, hold up. They're like just hitting refresh, 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 trying to figure out. And the live feed never comes back. And they're like, what in the world just happened? And so they're just waiting and waiting. It's chaos. And then 20 minutes later, all of a sudden a new post comes. And it's Lazarus and a selfie of him with Jesus. Hashtag Jesus loves Lazarus. 
And Jesus is like holding his nose like, yo, he stinketh. And hashtag gotcha, never late, always on time, whatever. And overnight, <laughs> he goes from having like 134 followers to having a million followers. He goes viral. He blows up overnight. Lazarus in one moment goes from being unknown to all of a sudden talked about, known about, famous and now all of a sudden it just blows all the way up and you could go back to his page and you could see all the before of his regular life. You could see the post for Mary and Martha and now you can see the after of him with Jesus and him rolling everywhere with Jesus now. But I'll tell you what you would never see posts of. Four days in the grave. And you'll never see posts of the last minutes when he is gasping for air and trying to understand why Jesus has left him to die. When he healed so many other people. You will not see posts of his wondering or his confusion or his desperation. In fact, the scripture doesn't even tell us. But we know because he's human, obviously he's feeling these things. But the scripture does answer one important question for us. And that's this. If Jesus loved Lazarus, where was he when he needed him? When Jesus, when they were texting Jesus and Jesus left them on red. And never responded, where was Jesus. Now let me set the scene because I brought the scriptures forward to you, but now we need to go back to the scriptures and imagine our dust in this, our feet in this dust and in this sand, and we need to walk where they walked. And I want us to picture this because as we walk through it, we're just going to pull out the truths of God's word that abide to our lives, right? So let me set the scene before we read, starting in verse 1 of chapter 11. Um, what's happening, Mary, Martha, and Jesus have been close to Je Mary, Martha, and Lazarus have been close to Jesus. He's been in their home, ate the food right out of their fridge, been sleeping on their couch. Like, they are tight. They are really close. And now he's on the road doing ministry. Lazarus gets really sick. And so they send word to Jesus somehow, some way. They get word to Jesus to say that, that Jesus, uh, your friend Lazarus, is sick. So in their mind, they've already bought into the fact. They are radical believers in their time because they've already believed that Jesus is a, not just a healer, but he's the son of God. And so they believe the only problem that we have is getting word to Jesus. And as soon as we get word to Jesus, our problem will be solved. So chapter 11, verse 1, it said, and verse 3, it says this, at this time a man named Lazarus was sick and he lived in Bethany. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now I want you to notice the tone in that, right? The one you love. Like this is personal, Jesus. We're the ones who have had your back. This is not a stranger in a crowd like the other people you've healed. The one that you love is sick. We're in chapter 11. This is personal. So he's on the road with his disciples and he gets this word about Lazarus. Chapter 11 verse 4 to 6 says, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now, we're going to come back to that verse later. Verse 5 says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Very specific. He wants us to know Jesus loved this family. So, on hearing that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two days. Here's, the, here's what I love about this part. Jesus loved Lazarus. That's the fact. You can never question. The Bible wants you to know through all the ups and downs that he loved Lazarus. And then it says this. Jesus loved Lazarus. And in, in some versions it says so or yet. But the Greek here is the word therefore. Therefore is a, a, a conjunction. And it connects two thoughts. Therefore it says Jesus loved Lazarus. Therefore 
he stayed where he was two days. Jesus loved him, therefore he ignored his call. Jesus loved him, therefore he did not answer the prayer that he was praying. Oh, we got to look closer at this. What do you mean? And 11 verse 7, Jesus says, after two days, he goes, let's go back to Judea. Verse 11, and he had, after he had said this, he told them, he says to the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied like, I would have, uh, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's probably going to get better. And they thought that Jesus was talking about actual sleep, but he was speaking about the death of Lazarus. So Jesus just told them plainly, uh, Lazarus is dead, guys. And for your sake, I'm glad he wasn't there so that you might believe, but let us go to him. Verse 17, and when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already spent four days in the tomb. Four days. You need to know that after three days is when decomposition started to happen. Three days. And so now is day four. And he already spent four days in the tomb. Verse 20 says this. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother, he wouldn't have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha goes, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus ever said anything to you that felt just like too good to be true? So you try to go, oh, what you're really trying to say is, yeah, I know, the resurrection. And Jesus like, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she answered. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who was coming to the world. Her her statement, Lord, if you would have been here, some people knock her for saying that, but it's a statement of faith, saying, Jesus, I'm not like these other people. I know that the only problem here is not that your ability to heal. It's just that right now in bodily form, you're not omnipresent, and you weren't here. So the problem is, is not with who you are. It was where we were, right? Yeah, I know you're a healer, but you weren't here, Jesus. And so Jesus says this to her. If you look in verse 25, I want you to underline, I am. The resurrection. And in verse 27, I want you to understand you are, underline you are. She says, I believe that you are. Because this is what I love about this. I don't believe that at this point she's believing for a resurrection. I don't believe she has the faith or the capacity to necessarily think he's going to raise her from the dead. But Jesus is saying, I don't need you to believe in, in exactly what I'm about to do. I just need to new, need you to believe. Do you believe in who I am? Do you believe in the character of Jesus? Do you believe that I'm good? And she says, I believe you are the Christ, the son of living God. I don't know how to believe for this miracle, but I believe in you, Jesus. And so here she is saying. You tell me what to believe. And after Martha had said this in verse 28, she went back, called her sister, and told her, The teacher's here and asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now he had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were in the house consoling Mary saw how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing. We say Mary and Martha both making the same statement of faith. And I just need someone in here to know this today, is that, um, that Lazarus died in an atmosphere of faith, surrounded by people who actually fully believed, but he still 
died. Why does this matter? Because bad theology says that if you didn't get healed, it was because you didn't have enough faith. But that's bad theology because what that says is that the power to heal rests in your faith. And there's two problems with that, the word your and faith, because that means you had faith in yourself and you've had faith in faith. Rather than having faith in a God who sees all, knows all, and has ways who are higher than your ways. Good theology says, I'm going to believe till my last breath. And here's the deal. Here's good faith. Good faith is believing. I'm going to believe until the last chance. And then after that, I'm going to believe that anything that dies in an atmosphere of faith will resurrect. So that means if I pray to prayer in faith and God hasn't done what I've prayed for, it's because he intends to do something greater than what I have prayed for. See, faith is believing the answer God has given you is greater than the answer you wanted him to give you. That's real faith. So they, they believe, and yes, she's weeping, and yes, she's frustrated because faith can be frustrating. It's frustrating when you know all through your bone and marrow that Jesus can do something, and then he chooses not to. Faith can be frustrating. So she says, Jesus, I do believe, but I don't understand. And when Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he asked, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they answered. And Jesus wept. Have you ever actually pictured Jesus weeping? I mean, just sobbing. Have you ever pictured the emotion on Jesus' face? And then the Jews said, wow, see how he loved him. And some of them said, well, couldn't he open the eyes of the blind? Then why didn't he? Keep Lazarus from dying. Jesus was deeply moved in spirit, and uh, some of these words actually mean things like angry and, and troubled and not just sad, right? There's a lot of things, that, and, uh, and I won't assume things not in Scripture, so I won't guess why he was feeling all of these emotions, but I just know this, that he was feeling all of these emotions, that he loved this family, right? Why would you weep when you know how the story ends? Jesus, why are you weeping? When you know what you're about to do. Hmm, I, I don't know why he felt them. He was overcome with them. But I know this. Jesus hated death. And he's always hated grief. And he's always hated suffering. And there are some things in your life that Jesus will allow to happen to you, but he hates. And you need to know that there's some things that Jesus has seen, yes, but he has not seen and just been silent. He has been weeping behind the scenes. Jesus hates to see the things that you're battled with because he remembers what it's like. He hates to see you betrayed because he remembers what it feels like. He hates to see you overlooked and ignored because he remembers what it feels like. He he hates to see you broken and battered and exposed because he remembers what it feels like. But there are things that Jesus has to sit back and allow and watch because he remembers how it feels to die. He remembers what death costs, but he also remembers what it bought. And so he will weep with you and grieve with you, yet he will let you bury some things he could heal. Because he knows that it has to die in order for it to resurrect. Because he intends to do something bigger than you know how to ask for. And so I need somebody in here to know in your heart that the God who wept does care about your pain. It is just that he's more committed to your future than to your feelings. See, Lazarus shaped history, and yeah, he's famous, and yeah, he blew up, and yeah, he's got that dream life and a city named after him. But none of these happen 
except for one thing. None of this would have happened if he didn't do the thing he was called to do, if he didn't complete his assignment on earth because he did what he was born to do. And I want some of you to be challenged to walk out of here and do the thing that you were born to do and to discover why you were called. But before you get excited, let me tell you what his calling was. He was born to die. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to the world to die. And for God so loved the world that he sent Lazarus in the world to die. And for God so loved the world that he sent you to this world to die. See, we remember the resurrection and we talk a lot about that. But we forget so quickly about the death. We, we forget that it cost him four days in a tomb. We forget about what it did to their spirits. God so loved the world. See, everybody wants a miraculous resurrection, famous life. But it costs you four days in a tomb, and that's why you should never covet a man's crown before you've seen his cross. What do you mean I have to die? I mean, it could mean so many things for you. Only you know that today, but it's probably the thing that the Holy Spirit is highlighting in your heart today. You might have to die to sin. You might have to die to some ambitions or to American dream or some stubbornness or some, some dream that you have. There. I don't know. It's the thing that the Holy Spirit is highlighting in your heart right now, but all I know is this, this message is urgent because what I see is a generation who is just running after a resurrection. They want to blow up. Everybody wants to blow up. They're running after a resurrection, but they're running away from death. And I want to tell you that that is running in circles. It is chasing after the wind and it is exhausting. And as long as you spend your whole life running after a resurrection, but running away from death, the only thing that will happen is you will get exhausted into depression, exhausted into falling away, exhausted into being disappointed illusions. You cannot chase the resurrection after while running away from death. See, there's a part I bypassed earlier, verse 4, Jesus said to his disciples, this won't end in death. And I want you to know this, it would seem initially to everyone who heard it, like Jesus said something and didn't come through. You said this wasn't, it sounds like he's saying, they're just tripping. They're being emotional. He's sick. He's not going to die. That's what it sounds like, Jesus. So they're all saying, but you said he wouldn't die. And sometimes it can feel like that when you look at your life and, and you go, you, you, you gave me a word, you promised but what, something to me, Jesus, but what I see doesn't line up with what you said. You said this was going to happen, but guess what? He didn't say Lazarus would die, wouldn't die. He just said that death wouldn't be the end. He said this would not end in death. And sometimes what we do is as soon as we have a moment where it seems like God hasn't kept his promise or kept his word, is we stop there, we bury it, we grieve it, and we walk away because we see a failure as final. We see a delay or an interruption as final. We see a season as final. But the problem is that grieving is what you do at the end, but you don't mourn in the middle. There might be some dreams or things in your life that you have walked away from and you have left buried. But I want to tell you that it might possibly be that that wasn't the end, that the death wasn't the end. It was just the middle. Don't mourn the middle. See, Lazarus was in a tomb, but he was in the middle. Death, the worst thing that seems like could happen to him has happened to him. And it seems like the most final thing. And it seems like the end, he was in the tomb, but he was in the middle. Maybe some people today are, are in the middle, in the tomb. In the middle is the place where it's too dark to see anything past the moment. It's dark in the middle. In the middle, it's isolated. 
All you can hear is the echo of your own voice and the voice of the enemy that taunts you. In the middle, it's cold and it's lonely. In the tomb, in the middle, people you thought loved you easily move on from you. Forget about you. Big time you sidestep you. In the middle, it feels like you have been abandoned. In the middle is when the enemy starts saying stuff to you like God is done with you. <laughs> he used you up, took what he want, and now he's left you. In the middle is when God starts to tell you God has failed you. The enemy starts to tell you that God has failed you, that God has forsaken you, that you loved him for nothing, that you followed him and risked everything for nothing. In the, in the, in the, in the middle, it's dark, and it's too dark for self-promotion. In the middle, you can try to position yourself and make yourself visible as much as you want, but none of those photos are going to turn out. There's no filter for the darkness that's in the tomb. You can't insta-post anything because what's happening in the tomb is a picture that has to be developed, and it can only be developed in the dark, in the middle, is the darkness you sometimes can't see past. You have to just finally give up on ambition because it's too exhausting throwing yourself against a stone that you can never, ever roll. That's what it feels like in the middle. Sometimes you're in the middle and you need to know it's not that God doesn't love you. It's just that before he can raise you up, he's got to let you die. And before he can reveal your call, he's got to ig you ignore your call. Before he could reveal your call, he's got to ignore your call. He had to let Lazarus die. Did you know Lazarus' name means God has helped? Past tense. Which means Lazarus, Lazarus, God had planned this before Lazarus was even born. It's a past tense. God has helped. Lazarus, when he called Lazarus out, he says, God has helped. Come out. He had already planned it. See, when, this is what I want you to tell, I want to tell you as the band comes. God always had a plan for Lazarus' future that would have never, Lazarus would have never been able to imagine. Here's why that matters. It's because Lazarus would have never probably said yes to the plan God had for his life. He would have had some input. In it. Did you know after this, they actually start to try and kill Lazarus after he's raised because the whole world is going after him. Yeah, you want a resurrection? You want to become famous? Well, this is what happened. Now they start to go after Lazarus again. But here's what happened. Jesus had to let him die. You can start to but When he was dead, Jesus could finally have a conversation with his spirit without being interrupted by his flesh, by his mind, his will, and his emotions. When Lazarus was dead, he could ask Lazarus to do the craziest thing and he wouldn't have to try to coach. Lazarus or convince Lazarus. He couldn't rationalize what was about to happen because he was dead. He couldn't try to tell Jesus how to do it. Well, Jesus, I think four days is a little long. Well, Jesus, I don't want to come out of there stinking. Well, Jesus, you could probably do it another way. Well, Jesus, does that have to be the setting? Well, Jesus, and Jesus says, just hurry up and die because I need to be able to speak to your spirit and ask you to do something that you will not agree to. No, Jesus didn't have to convince him. He was dead. So all Jesus had to do was call his name. And he walked out of that grave. He came out unprepared but called. Disoriented but called. Weak but called. Confused but called. Dirty and messy but called. Scared but called. No negotiation, no promises, no contract. But he was called. See, sometimes the moment is so urgent that God doesn't have time to mess with your flesh. He needs a now yes. So sometimes he's got to just let you die that still you will say yes to the life you were born for. Maybe he's ignored your call so you would respond to his. And I just came to tell you, hurry up and die. 
hurry up and die. So while you're obsessing in your life about finding your purpose, I want you to notice that Lazarus never found his purpose. His purpose found him. He was never chasing calling. He was never chasing person. He was, cha he was never chasing purpose. He was chasing a person called Jesus. You think this happened overnight, this resurrection, but I want to tell you, no. This happened over a process of time where as he walked in friendship with Jesus, somewhere along the way, he proved to him that he could be trusted with the resurrection. He proved to him that he was the kind of friend that he could promote and put out and he could blow him up. And Lazarus would never try to take credit. In fact, you see, it says because of Lazarus, the whole world was going after Jesus. Jesus needed to know Lazarus with something, with someone that if he, if he trusted him with the resurrection, Lazarus wouldn't try to make the world go after him. But he would try to make the world go after Jesus. When I was studying, I wanted to see what kind of grave this was. And if you put up the first photo of outside the grave, this is what I pictured. It's a stone on a grave. The stone is the door that he'll walk through. This is actually what's believed to be Lazarus' actual grave. And there was a stone rolled in front of it. Those people weren't there. They didn't have cameras. Just seeing. So you know, I'm not being a heretic. But this is just a picture. Um, but this is his grave. And so I, was, I tried to picture things. And there was a stone. And it said that men had to roll that stone. And I just laughed. And I, and I thought, hmm. In order for this resurrection to happen, there's a door he's got to walk through, but he can't open that door on his own. See, when it's time for your resurrection, for God to do the thing that he wants to call you to do, you don't have to create your own entrance. In fact, you can't. And you don't have to push down any doors because when it's time, Jesus gets the right people and they open the door. And he says, you go move the stone. And the door that no man could open, God opens. And the door that you could have exhausted yourself throwing against, yourself against because you just decided to hurry up and die at the right time when he's ready to call Lazarus out. He says, you open that door. And you open that door. And he uses people to open a door that Lazarus never could have opened. Jesus will send people to open the doors you can't open. The Bible says it was a cave and a stone, so I imagined like Jesus' tomb. They roll it away and you walk in, and Lazarus has this dramatic like, ta-da, moment, right? And then I, I, I saw the next picture. Lazarus' tomb didn't go straight in. Lazarus' tomb went down into the ground. There was at least 20 stairs that Lazarus had to walk up. So Jesus calls him, Lazarus, come forth. And it wasn't like, boop, here he comes. Now there's this waiting. Is he going to come up? Where is he? This process took a lot longer than I had ever imagined, this resurrection. But something happened in my spirit when I saw stairs that go down into the ground. I remembered the words that Jesus speaks in the next chapter about death. And he says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it dies alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it brings much fruit. See, Lazarus' life was a seed. And when you bury a person, when you look at life like everyone else, you see something like certain things you see as final, like a burial. But when you see your life like a seed, when that thing is thrown into the ground, you don't grieve it and you don't mourn it. When you throw a seed into the ground, you stand with expectation and you wait and you say, I don't know what's coming up, but I know it's coming up better than what I put it down. Lazarus' life was a seed that fell to the ground and died. You don't give up and walk away when it feels like it. You don't mourn the middle. Because you haven't been buried, you've been planted. 
He wasn't a body in the ground. He was a seed. And I see these stairs, and I realize him coming up. He's still in grave clothes. He's just heard his name. And so now he's still in grave clothes. They get him out once he comes to the top of the stairs. So now Lazarus is stumbling his way to the top, and he has no idea what he is about to walk into. He has no idea there's a crowd. He has no idea there's notoriety waiting. He's just a dead man who has been called out. He is not a man trying to climb a ladder of success. He is just a man climbing up a set of stairs from the earth. He's stumbling one step at a time, and all he's doing is following the voice of his friend who is calling his name. And he's stumbling up the stairs. See, if you want elevation, you can't climb a ladder. You have to climb the stairs. The stairs that come up, and here he comes one step at a time because Lazarus was called. He was called. When his mom named him Lazarus, she thought she called him Lazarus. But his name means God has helped because God already had called him before he was even born. Before he figured out what he was born for, God had already called him to this. And I want you to know you might be in here today and it feels like you are mourning, but don't mourn the middle. Because the thing in your life that you might see as the very worst thing as rock bottom just might be a springboard that elevates you to a place you could have never come on your own. And it doesn't have a ladder is led by ambition, but the stairs from a grave are led by a friend who just follows the voice of Jesus and isn't seeking all the other things, and he's just seeking Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes in this place? Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you. This